chapter number 11, and I only have six verses for you this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 11, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read the odd verses. I will ask that you would read the even verses. We read from the English Standard Version here at the Bridge Church. Um, if you do not have the English Standard Version, you can find a copy of it on or the words on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter number 11, beginning with verse number 1. I'll read 1, 3, 5. You'll read 2, 4, 6. Here's the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. As you do not know the way of the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. This is the word of the Lord. You may have your seats. Let me share with you some of the headlines and news from the last week or two. The debt limit needed to be raised. The government shut down. The Dow decreased by a thousand points before correcting. North Korea was North Korea. The president, his cabinet, his campaign remained under investigation. All of these headlines reveal one thing. We live in uncertain times. And in these uncertain times, there are three extreme responses. One extreme response is that of apathy. Otherwise, who cares? A second extreme response is that of despair. There is no hope. A third extreme response is that of reckless abandon. Since the world's ending, let's just party. We can either engage in one or more of these three extreme responses, or we can respond to living in uncertain times 
according to this option that the preacher gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. In Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 through 6, the preacher teaches us that in uncertain times, we can still take risk and live boldly. Let me show you. He opens in chapter 1 with these words. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. In other words, the preacher says, first of all, that we are to be courageous and not cautious in uncertain times. We should be courageous and not cautious during uncertain times. There have been different interpretations offered for the meaning of verses 1 and 2. The preacher says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. One interpretation of that verse is that of philanthropy and charity. In other words, when the preacher says be, uh, to cast your bread upon the waters, interpreters have said, he's saying, be generous in your giving to the poor. And then you will be rewarded for your generosity. A second interpretation that's been offered is an, an, an interpretation by way of agriculture. In other words, when the waters go down from, from flooding, that is the time to sow seed. And then the reward that is given to you will be a harvest of grain. One would have to ask them, if one subscribes to that interpretation, one would have to ask themselves, why would he not say, Cast your seed rather than casting your bread. A third possible interpretation is by way of business. In other words, he's using this picture of casting bread above the waters to say cast bread or engage in international trade. And, and bread is therefore synonymous with any kind of commodity. And by casting your bread upon the waters, he's not saying put bread in the water, but put the bread or the grain on a ship that's in the water, send it off internationally, and then you, in return, it will come back to you and you will receive a reward. The, the preacher's thought here, I believe, is you need to take some type of business risk, and a reward will come. It has been said, oftentimes, in order to make money, you've got to spend some money. Friends, no matter what interpretation you accept, the preacher's point, with all those interpretations, is this, as the people of God, we should take risk in uncertain times. 
Friends, the preacher is trying to help us to see that as Christians, we should be some of the most adventurous people on the earth. As Christians, we should take unbelievable risks. After all, we serve a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. At its core, risk-taking is faith. And the foundation of Christianity is that of faith. Christianity is a religion of faith. We are saved by faith. We walk by faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so in other words, he says, even though you live in uncertain times, take a risk. And so then, our job now as we bridge the context, we have to climb the ladder of extraction. And so we have to, as we seek to apply this to our lives, he's not telling us all to go start a small business. But he is telling us, don't curl up in the fetal position and do nothing. Because that would be fear and faithless. And so some of us today, we need to take a risk. Let me give you some risk that you may need to take. Some of us need to take a relational risk. In other words, you need to put yourself out there and get a friend. None of us were created to be lone rangers. It is unchristian and unbiblical to be alone. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying it's unchristian. It's not like a Christian to be alone. It has nothing to do with extroversion or introversion. If you need some alone time to, to recharge, do that. But just to say, I'm going to walk this Christian life all on my own, it is unchristian. And oftentimes, we hesitate to take on relational risk, like uh, uh, becoming friends with others or trying to become friends with others because we fear rejection. But friends, it is a risk we must take. King James Version, Proverbs 18, 24 says, if you want a friend, you must first show yourself friendly. Some of us need to take a relational risk by becoming friendly. Some of us need to take a relational risk with partners. In other words, boyfriend, girlfriend, and I've never taught you guys this, but I believe as Christians we date to marry. We don't date for fun. All right, that's another sermon coming. Thank you for letting me know. But some of us, God, some of us are single and we are waiting for that special someone. And the reason you will remain single is because you've got this list that is ungodly and unbiblical. You have this list that I don't even know if Jesus could meet that list. 
And some of us need to take a risk. And I'm telling you, the reward is great. You're looking at somebody that took a risk. Let me tell you what happened real quick. I'm going to give you some of my story. God spoke this to me, and God is not a man that he should lie. Y'all, I saw, I went to a concert. It was a gospel concert. This lady, I saw this tall, fine lady. She was on the keyboard. She could do it. She could sing. And I'm like, man, she is fine. I came to college just to give me a rich woman. I need to get to know her. The problem was, I'm looking at her, I'm like, but she a senior, and I'm a freshman. No shot. And so, life goes on. A few weeks later, I see that same tall, pretty, fine, mm, Coke bottle woman in the dining hall. Russ, don't worry, I'm talking about my wife. Don't worry, okay? <laughs> He's looking over there, checking like, uh, uh, where's this going? <laughs> and I'm with my friends, and they say, go talk to her. What I'm going to say, just go talk to her. And so, at that point in time, I have nothing else to say then. I saw you at the concert, and I saw that you play the keyboard. I really enjoyed you. Would you mind teaching me how to play the keyboard? That was my pickup line. So, men, there's hope for you. Her response, no. Am I lying yet? Okay. And she says to me, I tell people the best time to learn is like when you're young, you know, you, you need to do around 8, 9, 10. I'm like, whatever. I can already play. Huh? Mm. She didn't know that at the time, though, Bill. She didn't. But she says, I've never seen you before. That's because I live off campus. She says, you know what? I'm about to go to uh, choir practice right now. You should come. Oh, I'm like, I'm in. All right. She already asking me out. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Your boy still got it. See, I still got it. So I go to choir practice. I enjoy it. I sit at the back. And then it's over. I'm like, here we go. It's going to go down. And she's walking out her friend. She sees me. She's like, bye. I'm like, but wait. You invited me. She, she like paid no attention to me. And so I finally get to know her. She tells me she's a date. At that time, she was a double major in psychology and biology. And, her, and she was planning to become a doctor. I'm like, bingo, that's the one. I came here just to give me a rich woman. That's the one. I'm, I'm at this table with um, a friend, a mutual friend of ours. Um, and I say, hey, man, you know Connie? He's like, oh, yeah, I know Connie. And still, she's like, who? And I'm like, I'm going to marry her. He looks at me like he's eating. I said, I'm going to marry her. And he stops. Like, Connie Chambliss? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they have always underestimated your boy. <laughs> always. Now, if I was really Pentecostal, I'd say I spoke that thing into existence. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm trying to make a point. I don't forgot which point I was making. I always
always felt because of personal insecurities in a number of, of, of areas of my life that I never deserved somebody like her. Smart, amen. <laughs> Whoa, hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. What you t- Wait, I'm in church. I'm in church. I'm finna go there. <laughs> I'm finna go there. I'm already used one word that I'm supposed to use. I'm finna go there. <laughs> but Russ, I never felt like I deserved someone who was as beautiful, as smart, and intelligent. She was out of my league. I felt like I was undeserving. But I'm like, this woman loves the Lord. Checklist. That's a, that's a biblical checklist, by the way. She loves the Lord, and she's going to make me rich. What else is there? And I took a risk And the reward has been that after 13 years, I'm married to the woman that I fell in love with when I just went to a concert and I saw her on the backstage and she had no idea that I existed. You got to take some risks sometimes. Some of you, let me move from friends and partners to you need to take a community risk. I'm talking about your church community. Some of us are so afraid, and sometimes rightly so, to engage in Christian community because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be transparent. We don't want people to know who we really are. And and the truth of the matter is the Bible says that we ought to confess our sins to one another. And so some of us are going to have to take a risk and become more vulnerable and transparent so that we know as a body how we can bear the burdens of one another. Some of us need to take a relational risk. uh, Some of us need to take an evangelistic, an evangelistic risk. This is the part where I tell you, you need to take a risk by sharing the gospel. Not only is it a risk, but it's a responsibility. Oftentimes, we don't share the gospel because out of fear. Again, we fear rejection. We fear the loss of relationship. We fear we won't know the right things to say. And God is saying to us, just take the risk, leave the harvest up to me. He is the Lord of the harvest, church. Stop putting so much power in your own efforts and start relying in the power of the Holy Ghost. Some of us need to take some relational risk. Some of us need to take evangelistic risk. Let me, since I already made you mad, let me talk about this. Some of us need to take some financial risk. And I'm not even talking about the kind where you go and invest in all these different kinds of uh, businesses, whatever. I'm talking about investing in the kingdom of God. I'm amazed at how Christians 
can trust God to save their souls, but they won't trust them to meet their everyday needs. We trust God with eternity, but we don't trust him with every day. You think that if you give to God, you are going to just go broke and bankrupt. But actually taking a financial risk on God is actually biblical. Here's what Malachi said. God said in the book of Malachi, he said, try me. He says, give to me. And he actually says, try me. In other words, words, take a risk. And this is what God says. See See, won't I open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Watch that you won't even have room to receive. Some of us need to take a relational risk. Some of us need to take evangelistic risk. Some of us need to take financial risk. But then some of us need to take benevolence risk. What do I mean? Being charitable, generous, giving. Here's where I want to take this. We are so caught up with not enabling people and being taken advantage of that we do nothing. I'm tired of having these conversations every day when I say, I want to go help the poor, and they say, well, well, we don't want to enable them. And my call as your leader, is to help you to see that our responsibility is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Helping the poor is risky business. And guess what? We may be uh, taken advantage of, but I trust God that we will help more than we will hurt. That, that, That we will help more than will take advantage of us. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to enable. I want to empower. That is always the goal. Sometimes helping can hurt some situations. But we cannot get in a position where we're always worrying about enabling that we do nothing, which is to help the poor, which is our biblical responsibility. Think about what you say when you see the beggar down here on the corner of Rock and Kellogg or Broadway. And Kellogg, and I ain't giving this whatever's nothing. He's just going to go smoke it up. Why can't he just go get a job just like me? That sounds like love to me, don't it? But I'm looking at some poor folk right now. They're called sinners. All of us were poor until Christ came. And he became poor so that we could be spiritually rich. And Christ didn't sit there on the cross saying, look at them. I know they're not going to give like they're supposed to give, even though I'm giving my life. I know that they're not going to show up on Sunday morning, every Sunday, and honor me like they should, even though I'm sitting here. Christ didn't stand there on the cross and say, look at them. They're not going to be faithful like they should be. They're not going to be obedient like they should be. He didn't say, they're just going to take advantage of my grace anyways, so why I'm up here dying. He just died. 
And what the preacher is saying to us is get off your do nothing and do something. I didn't know I was going to fuss this morning either. Some of us need to take a vocational risk. For some of us, it's clear that God wants you to change your job. How do I know? Because you're miserable every day. And work was never designed to be miserable. It actually was blessed by God. God gave us work before the fall ever happened. But we love security so much. That's the idol of the day, security. That we are unwilling to take a risk and trust God. That's what the preacher's word to us. I know you are living in uncertain times, but just take a risk and trust the God that you say is the savior of your souls. Now, Some of us, this is the longest part of the sermon, by the way. I still got two more points. Some of us need to call what I need to take what I call a James 127 risk. You're like, what is that, Brandon? James chapter 1, verse 27 says, This is true and undefiled religion to care for the widows and the orphans in their distress. Now, these people had no idea they were going to be in my sermon today, but Greenman's y'all in my sermon today. Josh and Amy Greenman have taken a James 127 risk, and they are caring for two widows at the moment. And it's been risky business for them. One of those widows needs daily care. Then, on the other hand, you're just dealing with people who are set in their ways. Ain't that right, Amy? But they're taking a risk because that's what God said. This is pure and undefiled religion. And here's the thing. Caring for widows is not just the responsibility of one family. It's the responsibility of the church. I didn't get enough amens on that, so I'm going to say it again. Caring for widows and orphans is not the responsibility of just one family. It's the responsibility of the whole church. Let me tell you how this uh, uh, applies to the British church. And, 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 and right here, I'm giving God some praise because what, what Josh Greenman just said to me, I had, uh, I'm about to say I had drinks with him. It was coffee and he had something, soda and I had a soda. We had holy drinks, all right? He said, I am so happy and so glad that we are part of the Bridge Church because we have just been surrounded with love by our church. People have brought over food and what have you. Friend, that's community right there. That, that's an Acts 2 kind of church where we all get on board and we help this family. And so one of the things we need from families like the Greenmans is to let us know what you need so we can come alongside of you. And I'm not fussing, by the way. I'm just letting everybody else know. So that way, 
This is our responsibility as a family to care for the widows. All of us have to take on this risk alongside the green. I think about, I probably should have told them I was going to use them in my sermon. I think about the Weems family. They took a James 127 risk. They went from a family of five to now a family of nine. They just keep taking in kids. After kid, after kid, after kid. And if you ever talk to Heather Weems, she would just tell you, she says, Christians love to complain about all the problems of the world. Christians need to do something about it. And so her do something about it was, instead of me complaining and fussing about the problem with the system uh, as far as the Department of Children and Family Service, I'm going to do something. And she started taking in kids. And they just keep taking in kids. By the grace of God, they, they have reached their max legally that they can take in. Oh, Lord. But they have become a multi-ethnic family all on their own. They have a mixed baby with black and white. They have Mexican. Actually, the Mexican baby had them go and buy some, uh, what was it, Connie? What's that sauce? What's that? Brian, what's the hot sauce you like at my house? Who? That one, too. What's the other one? Valentina. That's it. Thank you, Hector. They're like, I had never heard <laughs> this family in Andover, <laughs> this white family. They're like, I've never heard of this before. And so now they're going to buy Valentina because they got a Mexican baby in the house. They got two Koreans. You don't get more multi-ethnic than this family. But why? They took a James 127 risk. Now I'm not telling you all to go get nine more kids. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. I'm telling you. But here's where you come alongside. You encourage the wings with your words but then you also say, if you need a babysitter for like two of them, <laughs> yeah, Lord, call me. Do, do you need help with whatever kids need? If you have the ability to build some furniture, this is how we do this as a community. Everything that the church needs, the church has. We live in uncertain times, and the preacher's word to us is to take a risk. And I'm still on verse 1. Verse 2 says, take a risk, but still be wise. In other words, don't sit up here and say, well, Brandon told me to take a risk, and, and so you go out and do something foolish and stupid. That's what he's talking about when he says, uh, divided seven, your portion even seven or even eight. In other words, if we take the interpretation that he's putting bread on ships and ships are going here and there to deliver the bread, he's saying to them, don't just put all your commodity on one ship. Spread it out. This is exactly what financial planners will tell you. They will tell you if you're going to invest, diversify. Jonathan, that's where you're supposed to say amen. <laughs> See, I was going to come to you to be my financial planner, but I don't know now. <laughs> they will tell you, 
Don't put all your money in one industry. Because oftentimes, the whole industry suffers and it starts to go down and your investment, you start to lose money. So what you do is you, you try to balance it out so that you can still have a good return on your investment and you invest in multiple industries. That's diversifying. Even, even if you think about our own city, what they're talking about now is we need to diversify. We're a one-industry town. We need to diversify so, don't we, so we're not the next Detroit. That's what the preacher is saying. Take risks, but still be wise in how you take those risks. So he says, take a risk, be bold, even in uncertain times, but be wise. Secondly, verses 3 through 4, the preachers were to us that even in uncertain times, we need to stop watching and waiting and just do something. Verse 3 and 4, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And who, he who regards the clouds will not reap. He changes his metaphor and he goes now to that of a farmer who's just standing and watching waiting on the perfect conditions before he actually sows seed. And he's saying that farmer was never gonna, is never going to reap because he's just standing, watching, and waiting. The problem with some of us is that we are stuck. We are paralyzed by analysis. We are suffering from the paralysis of analysis. We are so busy weighing the pros and cons, the advantages and the disadvantages, that we do nothing. And the preacher's word to us is that the reason you are in a rut right now is because you're too busy standing just watching and waiting instead of working. He says, stop being inactive and just do something. Verse 5 and 6, and we're done. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Verse 5, he says, you don't know how the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of the woman with child. He's telling us, he's reminding us that we are ignorant of what God is doing in the world. We don't know what God is doing. We have no idea what God is ultimately up to. We won't always know God's purposes and plans for our lives. And because we are ignorant of God's plans and purpose, we cannot seek to control what will happen to us or won't happen to us. Friends, God oftentimes keeps us in the dark so we don't try to control our futures. For those of us who like control, this is very frustrating. So the preacher's word to us is rather than seeking control of our future, we should entrust our future to a God who controls everything. 
He makes everything. He's in control of everything. He governs everything. Stop trying to control the conditions and the circumstances and trust the sovereign hand of God. The reason we like to control it Let me say it like this. The Bible says, if you can see it, that's the Brandon Reddick translation. If you can see it, it ain't faith. We like control because we want to see our success. And if we can't see the success, we don't want to do anything. And God sent me by the British church this morning to remind you, we are people that walk by faith, not by. Instead of trying to be in control, trust the God who is in control of everything. So the preacher's words to us this morning is, in uncertain times, still be bold for God and trust that God will use whatever happens as you take risk for his glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's stand.